seated. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings, and we're going to be taking a look at verses 10, uh, or rather 1 Kings 10, verses 14 through 29, as we do continue on in the book of 1 Kings. You may remember before we stopped to do the, uh, the brief series on uh, spiritual disciplines for the Christian life, how, how we can better face the world and live as Christians in a fallen world. Uh, we did a small three-part series on that, but now we're turning back to 1 Kings. You'll remember that before, the Queen of Sheba had come and she had visited King Solomon. She'd come all the way from Seba to uh, Jerusalem, a long journey with a, a caravan, and she had been amazed at the things that she'd seen there. She'd not only been amazed, obviously, at Solomon's wisdom, which exceeded that of all the other kings of the earth, she was amazed at the prosperity that she saw and the many wonders of his kingdom. And we're going to read now uh, in more detail about those wonders, but uh, we're going to read with a a critical eye. We're going to be looking at this and saying, uh, but is everything as it should have been within the kingdom uh, that God had given to his servant Solomon? But before we turn our attention to the word of God, let's turn our attention to the God of the word and let's ask for his blessing. Please join me. God, our Father, whenever I stand before your people, I am mindful of your warning, let not many of you be teachers, for you will be held to a stricter judgment that James reminded all of your servants of. And so, Lord, I pray that as I speak today, I would say nothing that's out of, out of accord with your word. I pray, Lord, that I would not hold anything back. I pray that this year, Lord, I would be willing to open up the full counsel of your word, no matter what it is. And that I would not hesitate to declare to your people everything that you have to say. Whether or not it's in keeping with my opinions or my desires. Or whether I think it will offend or please. I pray, Lord, that today as we read your word, we would do so fully, Lord. We would enter into it. We would be thinking about these things, meditating upon them. I know, O oh Lord, that in these moments it's, it's spiritual warfare. Uh, the devil wants to distract us. And... Those phones we find so very helpful, they will inevitably be a cause of distraction if we allow them to. So I pray, O oh Lord, that you would hedge us in, that you would help us, O oh Lord, not to let the seed fall upon the path where it will be eaten by birds. Oh Lord, and help us to turn our thoughts away from our troubles, our work, our vocation, so that it will not be choked out by thorns either. I pray, Lord, that you would make it fruitful. Help it to find that good soil in our hearts and to sprout up and produce a harvest in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. First Kings, chapter 10. I'm going to begin with verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps and the top of the throne was was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. 
For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. Also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kiva. The king's merchants brought them in Kiva at the current price. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. One of the things that I was brought up doing, and I guess I inherited it as a family tradition, is uh, my family would always stay up till midnight and watch the ball drop. I find as I'm getting older and older, I'm like, do we really need to do this anymore? But nonetheless, last night, I did watch the ball drop in Times Square yet again. Now, one of the things that you will remember uh, that they do, aside from sing Imagine, possibly my least favorite song. Uh, on, if you've listened to the words, you'll understand why. It's nothing against John, well, now I've got some things against John Lennon. Let me move on from Imagine back to the sermon. Um, one of the things that they always do is they send out reporters to talk to people in Times Square, and they inevitably ask them a series of canned questions. What are your resolutions for the year and so on? One of the ones that they always ask for is, what do you hope for in the coming year? What are you, what are you hoping will happen in 2023? And they ask this question. And uh, the answers that came in most often were some variety of, I'm hoping in 2023 for peace and prosperity. I'm hoping that I will make more money and that we will have more peace. I'll have more peace individually and we will have more peace as a world and as a nation and so on. It really leads you to ask, though, a serious question. What is it that we really need in the coming year? Is it peace and prosperity? Admittedly, uh, there's a notable lack of both of those things, uh, especially when compared to the past, but is that really what we most need, simply peace and prosperity? If we suddenly had both of those things in abundance, in the way that the world describes uh, them, you know, economic prosperity and an absence of conflict and turmoil within the nation and within the world, if we both had those things, would it solve all our problems? Would we have, at that point in time, all that we need? Uh, I want to give you a case in point that might indicate that's not, not true, that all we need is peace and prosperity. Uh, and you'll find it in this chapter here in, in 1 Kings 10 uh, and then the verses that we just read. Israel, at the time we read about here, was at peace with all of the surrounding nations. The time of war and conflict had, had subsided, and they had never, ever been so prosperous. In fact, they had become perhaps the most per capita prosperous nation 
on the face of the planet at this point in time. Historians routinely, when they're talking about various empires and countries and so on, and they're talking about their history, they will use the phrase the golden age metaphorically to refer to the peak of a particular empire's existence and history. In this case, however, Israel's golden age really was an age of gold. And the Bible makes that very clear. This section of Holy Scriptures drives home that point by the constant repetition, for instance, of the word gold. In these verses, I don't know if you were counting, the word gold comes up 11 times. And a contemporary reader who was being told about the gold that was present, for instance, within Jerusalem and within Solomon's kingdom, he would have been absolutely flabbergasted by the amounts that are mentioned. We might miss that. We might say, well, you know, I don't know. Um, Because we aren't familiar with measures, generally speaking, like talent and mina. Your wife doesn't tell you, oh, honey, if you could get a talent of olives from the store, that would be a truly tremendous amount of olives, incidentally, or a mina of wheat. Uh, That doesn't happen. We We don't use those measurements, obviously. But to let you know, a talent is about 75 pounds, a little over it, and a talent of gold today would be, at current market prices, when I checked yesterday, $1.6 million. That means just the income of the gold that came to Solomon yearly was roughly $1 billion. I know that doesn't impress us in an age when trillion-dollar budgets are the norm, but America prior to the 20th century, wasn't spending that much money. King Solomon was taking in a tremendous amount of money. Uh, Then there were the profits he made from doing business with, quote, the traveling merchants from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia and from the governors of the country. The the, uh, scripture is, is very deliberate there in telling us, okay, so there was a set income of 666 talents of gold every year, but then there were tremendous other sources of income that changed and we can't quantify, but they were constantly coming in. And we don't know how much it was, but we know it was also a huge amount of money from the fact that he stored his gold in the form of shields overlaid with pure gold. He didn't have a bank. Uh, There was no central Swiss bank or anything like that. What he did then was he he made these shields and he gave them to his guards. And we can imagine how awestruck the people of Jerusalem or those visiting, especially from other nations, would have been when there was a formal procession of the king and he came forth and there was his guard holding shields, not of bronze like the other nations, but shields of pure gold. Then there was that magnificent uh, stepped throne. If you came into the the throne room of Solomon, you would have been struck by this throne made of ivory, overlaid with gold that the king sat upon, that he had to ascend on steps to get to, and these six lions pointing towards you. The throne itself was made of ivory. Ivory, kids, is made of the tusks of elephants, and it would have been imported at great cost. Uh, The difficulty involved at this point in time uh, with killing an elephant, then cutting off its tusks and transporting them by sea or by land would have been huge. Uh, No kingdom had anything like this, and the cost of making just the throne of Solomon must have been staggering. 
Even the common drinking vessels, we're told. You know, I go to my, uh, I go to my, my uh, kitchen and I open up the cabinet and I have an assortment of, of ceramic and glass and plastic vessels, but not Solomon. No, he had drinking vessels only of pure gold. Gold was so common, we read, that silver, and keep in mind that silver was the precious metal that was most often used in trade in the ancient world. Silver was counted as nothing in the day of Solomon. Worthless, get that silver out of my sight, throw it away, it's, it's of no use to me. It's like the way we treat pennies, you know, we, we, don't, we don't count them as worthy of anything. We put them in the tip tray or we, you know, we're not too sad. It's a debatable point if you drop a few pennies on the ground, are you actually going to find it worthwhile to lean over and pick them up? Well, that's how they treated Sol- uh, silver in Solomon's day. And Solomon also, we read, had entered into a partnership with Hiram, king of Tyre, this Phoenician king who was so very good, not just at stonework and uh, crafting things from from (laughs) cedars, but also to operate a giant merchant fleet. And this giant merchant fleet would go around all the various ports in the Mediterranean, both on the African side and presumably on the other sides, and it would load up and then bring back precious materials and exotic items and these animals from different places And then, in turn, those things would either be sold within Jerusalem or kept for the king's pleasure or traded on to the other nations. Solomon, we read also, he used a lot of this wealth to maintain the peace via a large army. And this army that Solomon had, we need to know, was very different from the army that Israel had before the reign of Solomon. See, up until Solomon's reign, Israel had been an army that depended on light infantry, and that light infantry would be raised when there was a need. The tribes would be told, you need to bring so-and-so number of warriors. We're going to fight the Philistines, or we're going to fight this invasion of Moabites, and so on. And then the army would be raised, and so on, and the men were responsible for equipping themselves and training themselves, and so on. But no more. Solomon creates a standing army. We read in verse 26 of this chapter, and Solomon created chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Now, this was, in modern military terms, a switch from light infantry to heavy armor and cavalry. Uh, And now they looked more like the armies of the nations surrounding them. They looked more like the Syrian army or the Egyptian army or the Hittite army. In fact, Solomon had so much surplus military equipment that we don't think about it much, but Solomon became one of the primary arms dealers in the ancient Near East. He would buy these these, uh, chariots and so on, horses and chariots from the kingdoms to the south of him, And then he would sell them at a profit to the kingdoms in the north. Now, was this all good? Was this all that they needed? I think if we think about it and we compare what we read in scripture throughout, I think we'll find that the answer to that question sadly is no. Now, I I need to make this point. This was not because gold is inherently bad. We sometimes think, oh, well, what's being condemned here is gold. What's being condemned here are the riches themselves. As some people will say that money is the root of all evil. Is that the actual scripture phrase? No. What is it? It's the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the gold itself. Gold is not evil. In fact, when gold is spoken of in scripture, more often than not, it's actually being spoken of positively or used as a positive example. For instance, the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 2.11, we read the name of the first, this is uh, speaking of the rivers, is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and the onyx stone are there. That's Genesis 2.11 and 12 in the very beginning. We have gold being spoken of as good. It's a good gift from the Lord. If gold had been inherently bad, then the Lord would not have commanded that the Ark of the Covenant and so many of the other items in the tabernacle and then later the temple be overlaid with it. He would have said, get that abominable item out of my sight. It will not be used in my worship. And yet it was heavily used in all the worship of the Lord. It was all over the temple, all over the utensils used in his worship and so on. Gold is used frequently in the Bible as a symbol for heaven and purity. The refining of gold, for instance, that process by which the metal, the raw ore, the gold ore is heated up. And the dross, all of those things that aren't gold, it floats to the top and the refiner would skim it off until he, we are told, could see his face is used as an example for the process of sanctification in the Christian. You and I are put into the crucible, we're heated up, and God's purpose is to take away the impurities until he can see his own face reflected in the material. That's the idea that that gold refining is a symbol of our own sanctification. It is also the material, along with precious stones, that heaven is built from. It's a sign of God's outward blessing also to his people. Sometimes my my mouth just turns off. Okay, that's enough speaking. Um, Gold was, for instance, a sign of the blessing given to the patriarchs in the Old Testament and then to the various kings of Israel. And God had certainly promised that he would enrich Solomon. You remember he asked Solomon, ask of me what you want. And Solomon, of course, had asked for wisdom. And the Lord had said, well, I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you something you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you riches as well. The problem then is not the wealth. The problem then is what we do with the wealth. And here we have the accumulation of the wealth that becomes an objective in of itself. And the desire, although it's not stated explicitly within the text, we can tell from what happened next, the desire begins to outweigh more important spiritual matters. It appears that Solomon had, even reading this, decided to ignore the warnings that God gave through Moses in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 17. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 17, because I do want you to see this. Now, one of the things that many Christians think is that uh, God hadn't intended for his people to have a king. No, God had always intended for his people to have a king. Unfortunately, they went around about getting a king uh, the wrong way and with the wrong ends. They uh, demanded a king like all the peoples around them. And the Lord warned them, when you do get a king, I'm going to tell you about him because he's going to be all the other kings except for the great king whom I'm going to be bringing in, who is, of course, Jesus Christ, the eternal king who sits on uh, David's throne. All of these kings will be fallen men. But he gave warnings. He said uh, regarding the kings, don't let them do this. Don't let them do these things. So he says in Deuteronomy 17, starting with verse 14, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, And possess it and dwell in it and say, 
I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. You shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. What were the three things that Solomon decided to multiply greatly for himself? Horses, gold, women, wives. He went directly against the three critical instructions given by God. He began to multiply these things. Now, they were signs of prosperity. They were signs of greatness amongst all the other nations. But we remember the Lord had been telling his people, you won't be like all the other nations. I'm setting you apart. You're supposed to be sacred and holy and do these things my way. Well, Solomon ended up, and we remember he knew these things. He was the wisest of all kings, which means he went against the things that he knew. Now, I want to put it to you that, brothers and sisters, it's, it's bad when somebody sins in ignorance, when they don't know what's going on. They don't know what they should do. This is worse, but we do it as well. You and I as Christians, don't we? we when we sin nine times out of ten, we know it's wrong, and yet we go ahead and do it anyway. That's worse. That's sinning with full knowledge. Solomon was doing all these things on the list. And as we shall see, his trade with the surrounding countries also increased his desire for exotic women from all of these countries. And he began to multiply them. And the great problem was that they turned his heart away from the Lord. Eventually, his alliances would come to nothing as well. These alliances that obviously he was beginning to trust in. When Pharaoh Shishak of Egypt attacked Solomon's son Rehoboam and took away all of these golden shields and all of the wealth that Solomon had stored up. In 1 Kings 14.25, we, we read that the, <coughs> the King Shishak came up and he, he uh, essentially forced Rehoboam. Uh, it was one of those either you give me these things or I'm sacking the city kind of arrangements. He forced him to hand over all of the wealth that Solomon had built up, the wealth ultimately <laughs> that Solomon accumulated did not do his, in, uh, his heirs much good. Also, we'll find as we continue on through 1 Kings that the Syrians and the, the nations to the north used the military might that Solomon had helped them to build up with his arms trade against the descendants of Solomon as well. So his horse trading and his chariot trading did not do much good either. And in the end, did all of the money, the finery, the women... The fact that every one of his drinking vessels was made of gold and so on. Did it satisfy Solomon's soul? Well, we don't need to wonder about that. The amazing thing is Solomon himself told us in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. And meditate upon this. Think upon it. Because there are so many of us who whether consciously or unconsciously we're living the same kind of way. We have the same kind of objectives. And we think they'll produce the same kind of of good outcomes. Solomon says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. 
Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I toiled, and indeed all was vanity. The word there is emptiness. Vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Solomon had begun to self-consciously or unconsciously ignore what his father had said. You remember David had written in Psalm 19.9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Commentator by the name of Phil Riken uh, notes this. He says, as valuable as it is, and take this to heart, please, as valuable as it is, gold cannot compare with the priceless treasure of knowing and doing the will of God or believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for our salvation. All these things are in the scriptures where we find our soul's true and priceless treasure, Jesus Christ. All the gold in the world is not worth even a single ounce of the saving truth that leads to eternal life in him. Solomon had forgotten that, or Solomon had ignored that, and it allowed himself to do whatever his heart pleased, to accumulate as much as he wanted, thinking that in the treasures of the world he would find happiness, and yet he says he did not. So let me ask this question today, at the beginning of this year, what about you? What about you? Now you may be looking at me, well, no fear there, Pastor, I am not King Solomon. I can, I can assure you I do not have 666 talents of gold coming to me every year. No fear. Neither do I have more than one wife. My wife is here. Don't even mention it. I am in no danger of taking many foreign wives. I am also not accumulating horses or even Mustangs. I only have one of them. So we may say to ourselves, I am not in any danger of doing the same thing that Solomon does, letting my heart be tied up with material pleasure and the world and power and resources. And yes, you are. Yeah, everybody in this room. I have to tell you, we live at a standard higher than that of King Solomon. Oh, I don't have a throne. Yes, yes, you do. It's called your flush toilet. He would have sacrificed that ivory throne in a heartbeat just to have that. And all of those things that we count as our right as American citizens. You have a refrigerator. Do you know what they had to do to have steak? They had to kill an animal, butcher it, and then serve it. By no means an easy process. Those of you who have spent many a chilly morning in the woods with a deer will remember exactly how exhausted you were and covered with smelly stuff at the end of the day thinking, ah. But then you were glad you could take it home and put it in the freezer and you'd have deer for days. Not so Solomon. You eat the deer and then you've got to go get a new one. All of these things, brothers and sisters, we are told that we need them and all of the devices that would have been just a wonder to them what, what do we want, though? That's the great question. What do you want? Do you want just peace and prosperity like the majority of the people who were standing in Times Square last night? I don't doubt that that's what they really think that they need and what they want. But is that all that you want? Or are you looking for something more lasting, more fulfilling? Are you? 
Jesus tells us, he warns you, he encourages you. He says in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus, we remember, was not simply preaching that without keeping it himself. Not only had he laid aside the wonder, the the incredible benefits that we, we can't even fathom of dwelling in heaven with the Father eternally in order to come here to be born of a woman, born under the law, to be born in a state of humiliation. It would have been an infinite stoop. I've said this so very often. It would have been an infinite stoop for Christ to have been born in the richest kingdom in the world at the, at the pinnacle as the Prince Royal. But he didn't even do that. He was born in an oppressed nation and he was swaddled and laid in a manger, an animal feeding trough. He humiliated himself for our sake. He became as nothing, putting that all aside. And then when he came here, we remember that he was tempted. We remember that he was tempted in the wilderness. Whereas our first father, Adam, had been tempted in a garden that was filled with plenty by the devil, who had told him, you shall be as God. And immediately, Adam and Eve had fallen. Jesus was tempted in the desert after 40 days of fasting. And the final temptation was this. Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. We're usually tempted with small things. Well, we're tempted with a, with a job that we know we're going to have to compromise our faith on. We're tempted with, with some leisure pursuit. We're tempted with a little thing. The devil sets before the Lord Jesus Christ all the kingdoms of the world, all their wealth, all their glory. And he says, I'll give you these. Now, they weren't his to give. But Jesus answered correctly, away with you, Satan. And he answers from God's word in Deuteronomy. He remembered what Solomon forgot. Solomon, the wisest of us, the best of kings, was a man at best, unfortunately, but not so Jesus Christ. We have trouble, I think, because we don't remember the true value of things. It's inherent within, within our hearts. We don't understand how valuable certain things are. There's a famous example of that, of course, uh, the, the um, sale of Manhattan Island. That occurred on uh, May 4th, 1626. Uh, a Dutchman by the name of Peter Minuit, uh, he actually uh, negotiated the, the trade with the Indians who lived on the island. And it was recorded yesterday, the ship, the arms of Amsterdam, arrived here. It sailed from New Netherland out of the river Mauritius on September 23rd. They report that our children, our people are in good spirit and live in peace. The women also <laughs> have borne some children here. They have purchased the island of Manhattan from the savages for the value of 60 guilders. It is 11,000 morgans in size. 60 guilders is widely reported in history to have been $24. It's actually closer to 1,000. But still, Manhattan Island for $1,000, what a deal. Because the Indians did not know what they had. They did not weigh it appropriately. And they did not understand what they were being offered. We have the same 
problem. We sell our eternal destiny, our souls, for what in the end ends up being less than $1,000, just a few handfuls of sand. King Tut's tomb was discovered in 1922 by Howard Carter and George Herbert. There's this recorded about the opening of it. Upon opening the sarcophagus, excavators found a gold-plated coffin. The layer of gold varied in thickness and color. It was thick and heavy on the face and hands, while a fine gold leaf made up the headdress. At the bottom of the coffin, a picture of the goddess Isis is kneeling over the hieroglyph for gold. The second gold-plated coffin was even more decadent than the first, though it showed some water damage. It was secured shut with ten gold-headed silver nails to protect the third and final solid gold coffin that held the mummy of King Tutankhamun. The last coffin was just shy of two meters in length and was made entirely from gold that had been beaten from a heavy sheet. The coffin alone is valued at about $1.7 million. The gold was located inside the coffin, including the foil patches that covered King Tut's pierced ears and two necklaces made of red and yellow gold disc beads. Gold, 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 all that gold. So much gold that was buried with it. But what good did it do King Tutankhamun? Didn't do him any good at all. He could not purchase eternal life with it. And you, I, I guarantee you, most of us will not be able to accumulate $1.7 million worth of gold to be buried with. But even if we could, is it enough to pay for your sins? Is it enough to clear your soul and give you eternal life? And the answer is no. For that to happen, for you to have eternal life, something far more precious has to be spent. And it was. If you are a Christian, brothers and sisters, then something was paid for your soul, for your eternity, more precious than all the gold in the world if we could accumulate it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What was that price? Peter answers in 1 Peter 1.18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. More precious than gold. Are you seeking the things that are more precious than gold? Are you seeking a treasure that will last forever? laid up in heaven for you where moth cannot eat, where rust cannot corrode, where thieves cannot break in and steal? Or are you simply attempting to get as much of the stuff as you can here on earth while you can? I would urge you, I would beg you, if that is your aim, if you are simply trying to accumulate as much peace and prosperity as you possibly can, you will find in the end it doesn't help. You will find as... Solomon himself, who was far more successful than most of us would ever be at accumulating wealth, he found it did not satisfy his soul. Even when he had taken all of the things that money could buy and given them to himself as a present, happy birthday to me every day, it still did not satisfy his soul. It was vanity. I have met many, many, in my life, it's, it's amazing. I've been privileged to meet many important men in the secular world, many world leaders. I've spoken to men who have done very well for themselves, but without Christ, as they got closer and closer to death, the emptiness became more and more apparent to them, the lack of satisfaction. The things that they thought would make them happy never did. 
their souls were not filled. Why? Because they had that, that yawning chasm still within them. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. There was a God-shaped hole in their hearts. They tried to pour the world into it, but the world is finite and the hole was infinite. It simply swallowed it up. It's why I spent the first 23 years of my life struggling with depression from time to time. And I'm not talking about, you know, a little wave of melancholy. Oh, yeah, I still get that as well. I still wake up in the morning once in a while and say, am I doing any good on, this, on the face of this planet? Have I really done anything at all? How old are you? And you've accomplished so very little. Ugh, that kind of thing. That happens. The devil's usually at my elbow trying to encourage me to stop. But I don't wake up with despair. I don't feel like an orphan in the universe. I know where I'm going. I know whom I believed in. I know I can trust him. And I know that there's an inheritance laid up for me that is incorruptible, that can't be taken away. I pray that all of you will seize hold of that inheritance. All you need do is go to Christ and ask for it by laying yourself at his feet, admitting you can't save yourself. You can't provide for yourself any sort of internal or eternal <laughs> and internal in the soul sense inheritance. If you haven't yet gone to him, and asked him for it. I would beg you, please, do not tarry any longer. <laughs> Run to Christ. Put aside the things of this world. They, they grow strangely dim as the hymn goes. Seize hold of Christ. Seize hold of the kingdom. Take it by force. It's waiting for you. The Lord encourages you, come and receive freely at my hands this inheritance. He today sets before you life. Do not pursue the cold, dead things of death. You will find at the end, if you pursue gold, that although it may glitter, it cannot save. And most of the things we pursue aren't even gold. We pursue things that look like gold, but are not. Brothers and sisters, I know that those of you who have given up much to follow Christ, you need encouragement as well. And so I say this to you. Remember what Christ said. He said, there's no one who has put aside even family members and the things of this world in order to follow him who will not receive much, much more. We may have a few, only a few talents in this world, but if we're faithful with those, he will give us many more. So continue your pursuit. Jesus is more valuable than gold. Pursue that which lasts forever instead of that which is passing. Let's go before him now. God, our Father, I do thank you for the assurances that you give within Scripture that you have set aside an eternal inheritance for your people. When your son Jesus was about to leave the world, he said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, or rather in my, house, my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Oh, I know, Lord, that sometimes we lose sight of that. We need reminders. So I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of where we're going, what's ahead of us, so that we would have no fear and that we might be able to pursue with vigor. I pray for those who are still going after the world's things. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to understand they, they don't fill your soul. Uh, they're empty of you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help them to, to see and turn before it's too late. Oh, Lord, thank you that you sacrificed that which was most precious to you for our sakes. Your 